Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I'm excited about this. Um, in the midst of, of studying for any lesson, God really deals on your heart. Um, and, and he talks to you about something a little bit different every time. Um, and this is something that's, that's really been dealing with me over the last several weeks. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to be able to share what I feel like God is telling us as a church and as a, as a body of believers in, in, in total. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, But have nothing to do, this is, sorry, this is the uh, Holman Christian Standard Version, it says, but have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has a limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Let's pray. Dear Father God, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the, the direction and the guidance that you have given us through your word. And God, we just ask that you would teach us what it is to seek godliness. We ask that you would teach us what it means to be trained in the ways of godliness and to, to seek after you and to walk in your path. And God, as we go through this lesson, Lord, I pray that, that it not be the words that I choose to say. God, I pray that you would go forth with every word that I believe you've, you've spoken to me. God, and that you would touch our hearts, God, and show us what it means and allow us to be better images of you, more complete images of you. And Lord, we thank you for everything that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the title of my message tonight is Godliness Through Discipline. Godliness Through Discipline. I'm one of these guys who I really need clear understanding of what these words mean. Because whenever I look at godliness, my first question is, okay, what exactly is godliness? What does godliness mean? And so I actually jumped into Webster's Dictionary, and I had to look it up because it's important for us to get the total scope of everything that God tells us. With a word like godliness, we need to understand the root meaning and what it actually means. To me, in Webster's Dictionary, godly has two stems of meaning. The first stem of meaning is divine. Godliness means divine. What does divine mean? Because that's another one of those kind of lofty terms. What does divine mean? Divine means relating to or proceeding from God, coming from God, being a deity, or being directed to a deity. The second term of godliness, the second stem of meaning of godliness, is pious or piety and devout. What do they mean? Piety is like your duty within religion. It's what you do within the religion. And devout is your commitment to religion or religious duties or exercises. It's expressing devotion or being devoted to a pursuit, belief, or mode of behavior. So if you take these definitions and put them together, this is what godly means to me. Godly means to exhibit the nature of the one who is divine. That's what godly means to me. It's, it's you walking in God's nature and being an image of what God's nature is. How did I get to that? How do we get to that? One, when we accept Christ, we are from God. God has created us, right? We, in accepting God, we are turning around and we are giving our lives back to God, so we are being directed back towards God. We have duty 
God gives us a duty. What is our duty? To go into all the world and preach the gospel. We have a duty. That's not our only duty. Our all, we also have duties to seek God, to get closer to God. And it's what we, it's what we do that is directing and molding us towards that. The second word within this, within godliness through discipline, is the word discipline. Most of us, when we think of discipline, we think of, like, spanking our kids, right? Right? I've got a three-year-old. I know what it means. Um, whenever she starts doing something that she shouldn't do that's going to get her hurt, we tell her no. Sometimes we have to spank her. It's not a fun... It's not fun for the parents. I now realize what my parents meant whenever they would spank me and say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Um, I, I now understand what it means. But... If we look at the definition of discipline, there are multiple different kind of, you know, discipline can mean, you know, like physical correction or things like that. Within this context, what, what discipline means from Webster's Dictionary is training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental capacities or moral character. It's, it's a training. It's, it's what we do to get to where we're trying to be. That's what discipline is. So what does this mean? What does godliness through discipline mean? To me, this phrase means what we do in order to imitate or project the nature of the one that is divine. The discipline part is the, the, the means that we get there. Okay? So it's, it's how we get there. It's The discipline part is what are we trying to get to? What is the end we're trying to get to? And the means that we use to get there. So, in the process of talking about godliness through discipline, it's important to look at what it is that we use as discipline within our lives in order to reach this thing we call godliness. There are three spiritual disciplines that we can look at that are the things that lead us and that mold us and that put us in line with what God has called us to be. There are three spiritual disciplines. The first spiritual discipline is this, the study of Scripture. When we talk about the word discipline, it's whatever molds us to reach a designated end. The Scripture is what molds us to reach a designated end. It's, it's the, the first means. We see the nature of God when we look at Scripture. In order for you to, to project the nature of God, you have to realize and understand what the nature of God is. And within this word, we see the image of God. So if you want to, be, if you want to live a godly life and you never open, open the Scripture, you're never looking at the nature of God to know what the nature of God is, to know what you're supposed to imitate. We, we have this no notion within our culture and our society that we can go to church on Sunday morning like twice a year and be Christian but we'll go home and we'll never open a Bible we'll never study we'll never seek what God says in here I think that's an issue because this is what is guiding us this is this is part of our discipline this is what is molding us to what what God has called us to be in the midst of these three spiritual disciplines, I'm going to point everything back to Jesus because I think it's important that Jesus, being fully God and fully human, he was a student of Scripture. He was. In Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 50, I know that there's like nine verses, and if you didn't come to hear a bunch of Scripture reading, then I'm sorry. Uh, 
this is church. I think, I think that it's important that we dive into scripture. Luke 2, 41 through 50 says, Every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went according to the custom of the festival. And after those days were over, as they were returning, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents didn't know it. Assuming he was with the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple complex, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be about be in my father's house but they didn't understand what they said to him the whole the whole point of this entire scripture that i want to point out is the fact that jesus while in the temple was sitting at the teacher's feet listening and asking questions it can be very reasonably inferred what were the teachers talking about what were they reading what were they teaching they were teaching the Old Testament. They were teaching the books of the Law and the Prophets. They could have been teaching the histories. There's a lot of things that they could have been teaching, but no doubt he was sitting there being a student to the Scripture. Christ, being fully God, being fully God, was a student of the Scripture. If, if the one who walked on the earth was fully God and was a student of Scripture, how much more should we be students of the Scripture? It's a spiritual discipline. It's something that we, that we need to do because it's something that, that molds us and that shapes us. And we think about, about Christ as that he was fully God and that he didn't need any correction, but, but we see in the Scripture that he used the Scripture. Like, he used the Old Testament. He was trained and he was taught. We can't just push it away like we don't need it. We can't. We can't. Jesus saw the necessity to learn, study, and comprehend the Scripture. In that passage of Scripture, it said that they were astounded at the answers that he gave to them. So he had a deeper understanding of Scripture. So I believe that God gives us a deep understanding of Scripture when we become students. We know also that he was well-versed in Scripture by the way that he walked through the wilderness in the midst of his temptation. Every time that he, is, he was tempted, what did he do? He quoted scripture. He quoted scripture. He didn't have to look it up. I think that's an important part in our lives too. He didn't have to look up the scripture and be like, hang on, let me find that. Let me find something to battle that. Type it into my Bible app on my phone. He had it memorized. He committed it to memory. He knew. He knew what the scripture said. And I know that so often we can play that off to him being fully God. But earlier in his life, when he was 12 years old, he sat in a temple and learned Scripture. That's important. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. He came to Nazareth, where he was brought up. And as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everybody that was in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began saying to them, Today, as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. In order for him to go into this scroll and find the place, he had to know where the place was to be found. If you need answers, it's in here. It's in here. It's, it's the first, I don't want to say the most vital, but it is the intro, the beginning spiritual discipline that you have in your spiritual life, is this, is this book. You come to the knowledge of Christ because somebody preached this to you. Right? You, you, get, you gain a deeper relationship with God, you begin to understand Him better because you've gotten into this. Not just because somebody has stood behind a pulpit and taught it to you. I think that this, this is an important and a non-negotiable part of our relationship with God. It's non-negotiable. In order for you to have a thriving, intimate relationship with God, you have got to spend time in the Word. You have got to. Romans 15 and 4 says, For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from Scripture. When Paul wrote that, he wasn't even talking about the New Testament because he was in the process of being part of writing the New Testament. He was talking about the Old Testament. Some, a lot of us want to write off the Old Testament and just focus on the New Testament. Well, in order for us to really comprehend and grasp the New Testament and see everything that Christ fulfilled, we have to go and see what was promised before that. It's important. Second Timothy, the second, second letter that Paul writes to Timothy, Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. We're talking about discipline. We're talking about being taught. We're talking about being rebuked sometimes because that's what we do with our kids whenever they do something that either is dangerous or is, is you know, out of line or out of character. We rebuke them and try to get them back into line, right? For correcting, this is, that's what we're talking about. That's what essentially discipline is. All Scripture was written so that we could become disciplined and be trained in godliness. That's what it's for. That's, that's what it's for. We have a, a great reason to study, and not just study so that it's in our minds, but to actually apply this to our lives. Because it, as, as much as it's a book of good stories, like there are some awesome stories in the Bible, like talking donkeys and, you know, fat kings and stuff like that. that seriously, that's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. If you haven't read that, I think it's in uh, Judges chapter 3. Uh, it's like 18 verses about this really big king, but I, I'll let you go read it. Uh, like seriously, there's some things, there's some really interesting stories within the scripture. But more so than that, more, more so than the interesting stories, we see where people have risen and fallen. We see where people have, have gotten in close to God. We see where people have strayed away from God. We see where God has had divine protection and, and overshadowed them. And we see where God has let them walk out from underneath his covering. We see this in the scripture. What does that mean? It means that this is a really good roadmap of what to do and what not to do. Really, really good. It's a really good roadmap. As I've already said, we find God's entire nature within Scripture. 
we see who God is and who God is not. God is a creator. God is a lover. God is also jealous and just and holy. But he's compassionate and he's merciful and he's gracious. You don't find that you don't find that just by looking at other people because so often we might be a, a little bit little bit gracious but we're not kind in the middle of giving it. Most of us most of us have not been forgiving. That's what I'm telling you is that we get the entire nature of God within the scripture. And in order for us to exemplify and to live the nature of God, we have to realize what the nature of God is. We the first spiritual discipline in all of our lives has got to be we have got to get into scripture. Have got to get into scripture. The second spiritual discipline is very close to to reading reading the scripture, and that is prayer. We've got to pray. We've got to be people who pray. There are so many scripture, there's so many verses, there's so many illustrations of prayer. But I want to focus on one that Christ prayed because I think that it exemplifies and it covers every other instance of scripture that we see that deals with prayer. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, starting at verse 36. It's a very difficult time in, in the life of Christ because he is getting ready to be betrayed. And if anything gives you an, an urge to pray, it's that sinking feeling that somebody's about to stab me in the back, <laughs> just to be honest. And Jesus came with him to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there to pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. He said to them, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed. This is what I want you to look at. What did he pray? My father, it is impossible, excuse me, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so, you, so couldn't you stay awake with me for just one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter, to, to enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the time is near. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. What did he pray? Look, God, this is really difficult, and I don't want to do it. But no matter what I want, I want what you want. To me, this scripture, in the most difficult, I would say the most difficult moments, emotionally, at the end of Christ, before he's crucified, he prays a prayer that says, God, I really don't want to do this. But no matter what I want, God, I want to do what you want. To me, he doesn't just pray it once, he prays it three times. To me, this exemplifies all of prayer. Because as selfish as we can be within prayer, it ain't about you. 
and it's not about me. It's about him. So we pray, God, heal us. God, touch our finances. God, do this. God, do that. But how often do we add that tag, but God, not just the way that I want it. Because Christ wanted it to where he didn't have to go through that. But he said, not just what I want, what you want. So how often when we pray and when we seek God in prayer, do we add this, God, I don't, don't just give it to me the way that I'm asking you to give it to me. Don't just give it to me the way that I want it, but the way that you want it. As painful as that might be, because we, we only have a slight picture of how difficult it must have been for Christ to be beaten and to be crucified. Because historians and have said that it was the most brutal and gruesome form of punishment and execution. But Christ, and we look at him being fully God because he could have called down legions of angels and been delivered. He could have had all these different things have happened. But he decided to walk through it because, why? Because of that tag that he prayed. Not just what I want. Don't give it to me because I want it. I want to do what you want to do. This prayer was about, about Christ personally, but it was not in selfishness. Within these moments in Christ's life, we see the heart of Christ to take on the nature of the Father, one who is giving, one who is merciful, and one who is gracious. Prayer is the moment that we pursue intimacy with God. It's, it's, as much as it is scripture, it's inviting God to become involved in our lives. It's our, it's our face-to-face. It's our, our verbal communication with God. And we, Pastor, you asked what, last Sunday or the Sunday before about how many of you heard the audible voice of God. There are a lot of us who haven't, but if you've never heard the audible voice of God, I can give it to you in writing. Our prayer is when we audibly talk to God. It's when we speak to Him, when we are, are opening ourselves up, and we can be very selfish in the midst of it. We can be, God, give me, give me, give me, bye. Some of our parents would slap us upside the head if we ever talked to them the way we talked to God. God touched this, blessed this, bye. And we shut everything off and don't ever even open the Scripture. We don't give Him time to talk back to us. I think that that's... I don't, I don't think that that's correct prayer. I think, it's, I think when we seek God, even in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And even at the end of it, he comes back to the Lord. He doesn't even end with him. He ends with the Lord. He ends with the Father. Our problem is that we don't, so often we don't pray correctly. In James chapter 4, Verses 1 through 3. This is a very difficult scripture, but it is often one of my favorites because it really brings me into humility when I think about prayer. What is the source of wars and fighting among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and you don't have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You don't have because you don't ask. And you ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires. That's a very difficult scripture. 
The first thing I think about in the midst of that is prayer. When we talk to God, we're asking God for these things, but how often are we just asking that out of our selfishness? Um, I actually had a conversation um, about two weeks ago, and he was it was a man who was talking about his sin, and he said that I always go and pray afterwards. I was very blunt, and I said, I, I don't know that God hears that prayer. Because you you have... You want to be forgiven of your sin, but you don't actually want to stop sinning. There's an issue there because even in that, if we read that scripture and we apply this to prayer, we want to be forgiven of sin and go to heaven, but we don't ever want to stop the sin. We're praying in selfishness. We, don't, we want to have both things. We want to have both things. And, I, and, and God, God doesn't just give us things out of our selfishness so that we could spend it on our selfish desires. He wants to do this and don't want to stop this, but he also wants to make heaven. I'm going to be honest. If you want to make heaven, there's some things you're going to have to quit. I'm not saying that for me because I'm, I'm talking to myself too. In order for me to make heaven, there are things that I've had to quit. It's, it's important that when we pray that, that we're not just talking to the walls or to the ceiling. That It's important that we pray, pray prayers that God hears. That we pray prayers that God hears. Proverbs 15 and 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Can I, can I share something with you that's a little bit tough to swallow sometimes? That God doesn't hear every prayer. And I, 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 don't, I don't mean that mean. I, scripturally, if we look at this, that he's, far, that he's far from the wicked, I believe that when a wicked person prays a prayer of, of repentance, that, that they have a true desire to turn around and no longer sin, then God hears it. I believe that God hears that. But if when we pray, if our desire is that I want to keep sinning, but I'm just going to ask for forgiveness so that I feel good about myself and so that I think I can make heaven, but I don't actually want to quit my sin, there are some, sometimes that I don't think God hears that. Because God looks at our heart whenever we seek after Him and whenever we pray. And I, I believe, and I, I believe that the Scripture attests to this, that, that when we pray, that we've got to pray and we've got to seek after God, not just for us and so that we can be selfish in it. But to seek Him and what it is that He wants and invite Him into, into the midst of us. Our prayer is our asking God to come in and to have His will and His way in every situation. That's the best definition of prayer that I can give you. Even when Christ was praying there at Gethsemane, He said the same thing. He said, look, Father, this is, this is what I desire. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to deal with this, but not, not what I want, but what you want. He's inviting God to become involved in that situation. He's getting Him involved. But in the midst of that, He says, nevertheless, what, not what I want. I want what you want to take place. We are so thankful that he followed the will of the Father because if he didn't, we would not be here today. The third spiritual discipline that nobody likes to talk about is fasting. Fasting. Even doctors use this term if you've got to go in for some type of medical practice that, that they'll say, you need to fast from like midnight to, you know, in the morning or the day before. Fasting, and, and so often we'll, we'll use this to apply to like electronics. That's like millennials and, you know, the younger generation will be like, I, I won't get on Facebook for the next, you know, 21 days. Fasting actually means to close your mouth. 
just being honest. And that doesn't mean not to talk. It means not to eat. It means you don't eat something or you don't eat anything. It, means a, it actually means closing your mouth and not eating, to abstain from food. So when we fast, it's important that we realize that sometimes you have to skip meals. And so the question is, is what's the spiritual discipline within fasting? To me, fasting is just like a spanking. It's that physical thing you do to bring yourself back into line with what it, what it is, that, that, that end goal that you're trying to get to. You're bringing your body under subjection. It's, it's making your flesh subject to something that's deeper than just the flesh. When you abstain from food, it's painful. Your stomach starts growling. Then it starts hurting. Maybe you get headaches. Maybe you get sick to your stomach. There are a lot of things that happen in the midst of a fast. But the purpose of the fast is not to listen to your flesh anymore and what your flesh wants. Because our, our, our stomach is like, eating food is like one of the most basic instincts that we have. When you get hungry, you eat. Some of us, when we eat when we're not hungry. But when you get hungry, you eat. That's, that's the purpose of it. And it's saying, telling your body, no, you're not, you're not as important as this. If you just skip meals, just to skip meals, but you never jump into scripture reading and prayer, all you're doing is starving. That's it. It's got to be used, it has got to be used, in addition to reading and studying the scripture and to prayer. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Amen. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But he answered, It's written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot on a stone. Jesus told him, It is also written, Don't test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I, give you, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and immediately angels came and began to minister to him. Yes, you will be attacked in the midst of your fast. It is not an easy thing. And it only starts off gradually. You'll get a little bit hungry on day one. If anybody, has anybody ever done like a multi-day no, no food, no meat fast, no food of any kind, drinking only water? Three days, five days, seven days, it's hard. It's not so bad after the first day. You know, you're, you're, you're hungry after day one. But after day three, you just feel like your stomach's eating everything else inside. It's just like a war inside your, inside your body. I can only, I've never done a 40-day no food. I have, I think Caleb's brother Logan, I think, has. Um, I, I can only imagine what your body feels like after 40 days. So to me, if somebody comes to me and I had the ability to turn stones into bread after 40 days, chances are I'd be like, <laughs> bread. <laughs> I'm, I'm thankful that, that he is God and I'm not. Uh, but the issue is, is that, in the midst of Christ, 
okay, in the midst of him subjecting his body to the will of the Father, he became so strong spiritually that it didn't matter what the temptation was. He said no. Again, what is it that we're talking about? We're, we're, we're talking about seeking godliness, becoming godly. And I don't mean that we become divine like we become God. I'm saying that we, we show the nature of Christ, that we show his nature. And we do this through studying the scripture, through inviting God to come in and become involved in what it is that we're doing. And sometimes by putting our own bodies under subjection. That's what we're doing. Um, it's so difficult for me to talk about these things and tell you that I have been perfect in all of them because I have not. There are days it's difficult to get up and jump into Scripture. There are, difficult, there are days that it's difficult to pray for more than four or five minutes because it seems like every time you like go to your place to pray that everything and their brother and sister and mother happens. Like you, you get these crazy thoughts in your head that you just want to ponder on. You start getting phone calls and text messages whenever you haven't been bothered all day. Um, your stomach starts growling and you just ate five minutes ago. You know, these, it, there's something about praying. There's something about reading the scripture that your body just doesn't want to do it. That's also the reason that you fast, so that you put yourself into subjection to where you force yourself to do this. Discipline is not something that is always enjoyable. But discipline is the means that we get to the end. In closing, there are three things that we must do realizing these three main spiritual disciplines. Because can I tell you, if we apply this, if we apply studying Scripture, and if we apply praying, and if we apply fasting, I mean true scriptural fasting, where we dive into the Scripture, we don't just skip meals, but we actually get into the Word, we spend that time that we were going to spend eating, with God, that we spend time in, in prayer and we, we do those things. Can I tell you that if we will do that, if we will do that, then the nature of God begins to come naturally. We begin to show people grace. We begin to show people forgiveness. We begin to show people mercy. That's, we begin to live that which we're spending the time with. I mean, people say that like you start to look like your spouse after you live together for so long. Some people look like their pets after they live together for so long. Um, We've all seen those, those commercials that show the owner and the pets, and they look almost identical, and it's, it's kind of creepy. Um, but it's, if you spend time with God, you look, like, you look like him. If you spend time with Christ, you look like him. So the question is, what are we supposed to do with these three spiritual disciplines? First thing we must do is this. We must be devoted to consistent daily effort. Daily. The key word in that is daily. You can't read your Bible today, read your Bible again on Sunday, and live like Christ Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Or Monday and Tuesday. You can't. You just can't. Discipline is not an instantaneous thing. It's a path. It's the, it's the, the steps that you take to reach a desired end. Will Durant once said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act, but a habit. It's a habit. So what am I saying? You have got to make a habit 
of spending time in the Scripture and praying. Fasting is a little bit difficult to make a habit out of, but if your body begins to get out of line and you, you begin to start chasing after the flesh, it's time for a fast. Let's, let's, let's call it like that. Number two, we must be determined to push through any hindrances because it never fails. Me especially, whenever I, whenever I sit down to pray or whenever I sit down to study, my three-year-old just wants to come in and talk. And I invite her in. Don't, don't get me wrong. I don't push her out. I invite her in because I want her to understand what's going on. Because another thing that we have got to do is we've got to teach the people that are underneath us. I know that I'm, I will be <coughs> 30 uh, next week. <laughs> A little hard to say. <laughs> my, my last six days in my 20s. Um, but it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say that at a, as a 30-year-old that, one, I don't know everything, so I need people that are above me that will teach me things. But number two, I know more than people who are 20 and 18 and 15. And so we have got to be intentional about bridging this gap between the generations. because And, I, and I'll say this. I've gotten to talk to Pastor LV here recently about his church plant and doing some other things, and I enjoy these stories because, it, one, it gives me faith to seeing the things that he walked through in the process of planting this church that's like, man, if, if God puts something on your heart, he's going to be th there, there with you in the midst of it. You know, being able to talk to people who have gone through something that are above you, it gives you faith and it, it raises your hope. It, 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 it strengthens those things that God has already spoken to you. So... Those of you who are older than me, just like everybody in the room, uh, we need you to be intentional about reaching out to us and sharing the things that God has done in your life. Just like you need us to share the faith and the things that we have seen as well. I hear, and I wasn't here during like the eight, eight month revival here at church. Um, but I have seen things, and I have experienced things that I know some of you have not. We have got to stop just saying, well, if they need anything, they'll come to me. No, they won't. No, they won't. I'm 30, and it's hard for me to, to come up to me and say, hey, look, share, share your story with me. Take me under your wing. Mentor me. If I can't do it at 30, somebody at 18 sure is not going to do it. That's why we, as the adults, have got to be intentional about taking people underneath our wings and, and becoming fathers and mothers to them and training them in the way that they're supposed to go. And this, this all comes, comes from me talking about my three-year-old. My three-year-old is not too young to learn about who Jesus is. She's not. Her favorite song to sing before she goes to bed is, Jesus, we love you. Old things have passed away. Your love, it stays the same. And, and she will sing it word for word. And me as a dad, I just want to get up there and cry. Let's be honest. Not everything that we immediately see that comes up during these times of Scripture reading and prayer are hindrances. Not always is your family a hindrance. But there are some things, like sometimes you just need to turn off the cell phone. Turn, please turn off the TV. 
push the pets out of the room. Do whatever it is you have to do. Go, get, go crawl in a closet. Whatever it is that you have to do to, to make time and to eliminate some of these hindrances. And even if hindrances come up, sometimes you've got to push through the hindrances. That's my second point. That studying Scripture is not always easy. We don't always know what we're supposed to pray, and being hungry is painful. Those are hindrances, but we have to push through them because the goal for us is that we become and we exude the nature of Christ. The third point is this. We must make the decision to allow the Holy Spirit to direct us. We've got to be directed. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit. We've got to give him permission to do whatever it is that he wants to do. Whatever it is that he wants to do. God gives us revelation through Scripture. He, he allows us open communication through prayer. We don't, there's no longer a wall between us and the Father. We, ha, we now have open access to the throne room. We can crawl into his lap and just say, Daddy. That's, that's important to us. And it's not just we say, Daddy, give me. Daddy, we love you because of who you are. We must also use the ability that God has given us to subject our flesh It's vitally important to our growth, individually and corporately. Because I, I thought about this the other day. How many of you have been to, like, Mountain Home? How many of you, if I asked you right now, could tell me exactly how to get there without looking at a map? You can't take anywhere, anybody, anywhere that you haven't been. If you, if you are not consistently getting into the throne room of God, if you are not consistently getting into his presence, how are, you, how are we going to lead other people below us into his presence? How? And can I tell you this? If you've been there once, it doesn't mean you know how to get there. We are, God is open and he has welcomed us in. And Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants in the midst of it because it's not our house, it's his. When we, when we invite God's presence into our house, it doesn't just, it's not our house anymore, it's His. It is up to us as individuals to use the disciplines that God has given us to apply them to our lives. But it's the Holy Spirit that is urging us to return to this because so often we have just stepped aside. And we might do one thing, we might do two things. We might do one thing really well and kind of slack up on the second thing. But God is calling us into excellence, into following Him. That's what God's called us to. That's what God's called us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You. God, we thank you for your, your grace and your goodness that you have inviting us, that you have been inviting us into your presence, God, that you have given us a means to look like you. God, that we don't just have to go off what we think or what we know, God, but you have given us instruction. God, you have given us open communication. God, you have given us a flesh that we have not always, God, that we have not always been in control of, but God, through your Holy Spirit, you've given us 
control over our flesh again. God, that we can become subject to you. God, that we can live a sinless life. God, that we can step out and that we can do the things that you have called us into. God, that we can, God, that we can live the way that you have called us to live. Touch our hearts, God, because we want to rededicate ourselves to you. We want to be re rededicated to studying your word and hearing your voice. God, to speaking to you and giving you time to speak to us. God, and we want to be subject to your spirit. God, we don't just want to live by what we want. We want to live by what you want. Because what we want doesn't even matter. It's not going to matter tomorrow. But what you want is always the same and will always remain. You just want relationship with us. You want relationship with our neighbors. You want relationship with our friends. God, and you have not put a limit on that. You have invited us to be those spokespeople, God, those, those carriers of your presence. God, don't just do it the way that we want to do it, God, but make us subject to the way that you want to do it. Speak to us and let us follow you. Make it clear in our minds, God. Reveal, reveal it in a new way, God, a way that we'll follow. Because, God, what we desire is you. God, what we desire is you. So whatever the means are, whatever way we have to discipline ourselves, God, let it be. So that we can become the true carriers, God. So that we, we can imitate and show your nature the way that you have called us and designed us to. And God, we thank you for all the things that you always do for us and the way that you continue to work in us, God. And we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.